the Young and Healthy Podcast. You're listening to the Cincinnati Children's Young and Healthy Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Cincinnati Children's Young and Healthy Podcast. My name is Kate Sutter and I'm your host for today. We are moving into the world of teeth today and we're going to be talking about teeth and dental health and smiles and all of those fun things. And my guests today are Dr. Julia Castrogano and Dr. Patrick Ruck, both of whom are pediatric dentists here at Cincinnati Children's. Welcome, both of you. Thank you for joining us. Of course. Thank you for having us. Super happy to be on. I'm excited. (laughs) So glad you're excited. Um, We've actually been really excited about doing this this topic because I think we have a whole lot of teeth questions for you guys. So let's just start at the beginning. And would you kind of give us um, your own personal thoughts on the overall importance of having healthy teeth and a healthy smile? Well, and I tell this to teenagers too, I have had a ton of fillings, even dentists can get cavities. And I did all of my damage to my teeth when I was little and when I was a teenager. And I think some of the biggest things parents don't realize is that the damage we do to our teeth when we're younger, like cavities and abscesses and and, and tooth fillings, that that sometimes follows us the rest of our lives, you know, and, and you're dealing with these problems that happened when you were 10 or or seven or eight, and and um, just being able to take care of your teeth, you know, a healthy body, healthy life, and, and and I think that's important to start there. Yeah. Um, also, I feel like what um, a lot of parents and adults and just in general people don't realize is dental decay in children is actually the number one illness or disease in childhood. It's even above asthma, things like that. More children are affected by tooth decay um, than you would ever really imagine. And since becoming a pediatric specialist in the field of dentistry, it is very apparent how widespread the issue is. So the more that we can educate and spread information, the better. That's a great place for us to start. Thank you for to both of you for that. And actually, one of the things that was really interesting to me, um, and maybe you can help elaborate on this a little bit, like the, the prevalence of tooth decay and how serious it can get. I was presented the information several years ago just about how much time dentists spend in the ORs here at Cincinnati Children's doing, um, you know, helping those kids who have pretty significant decay. And tell us a little bit about what what is it that would lead to a child needing to undergo surgery to have treatment? Um, You know, a lot of parents and people, you know, don't understand or really realize um, the importance of treating decay when it is in baby teeth. Um, uh, Many people think um, baby teeth are a temporary tooth. Um, If they see a cavity, the tooth will eventually fall out, so there isn't anything they really need to do. Um, Obviously, when we see a child in pain, obviously we have parents intervening at that point. But, um, you know, we see, you know, we've, I'm sure Dr. Ruck and I have both seen cavities in children under the age of one. So, um, you know, uh, you get your tooth before one, your first tooth before one, 
you could have your full set of teeth before age two. And then that's, you know, by four, a four is a very common age where we take children to the operating room, just like in my experience, a lot of them are three to five years old. They've had their teeth for several years. That's plenty of time for cavities to form. And if you think about a three or four year old, they're not gonna sit in a dental chair two, three, four times. It'd be hard for me to sit in a dental chair two, three, four mm-hmm. times and have, you know, fillings and crowns done. So when you have um, this high rate of cavities in these kids under the age of five, the operating room, you know, safely in one visit, fixing all those teeth at one time um, really is a gr- amazing service that we provide here at Children to hundreds and hundreds of kids a year. You know, and I think one special thing about Children's that Dr. Julia commented on is we are also here for the tri-state area for kids with urgent and emergent uh, dental needs. Like a kid who gets such a bad dental infection, they have to be hospitalized. And, you know, sadly, we still see that. And on young kids, too, where we have to urgently take them to the hospital. Like they come in through the emergency room and they have such a severe dental infection that they have to stay at the hospital. And and it's just a nice service that we can provide for these families. And I, I used to work kind of out in the middle of nowhere in Arizona and North Carolina, and I was always surprised by one-year-olds who would sadly have to lose their front four teeth that just came in. And, and some of that is due to, you know, like Julia said, that maybe parents or grandparents or aunt taking care of the kid or another family member who just, they don't have the education to prevent dental decay and, and they don't know how to get access to care when it's treated. Um, so I think it's so important to educate parents and to empower them to help prevent, you know, and in medicine we're, and in healthcare, preventing disease is becoming so much more popular thing. And, and we in dentistry, you know, we would love to not have a job anymore and, and, and be in just and for kids not to have cavities, mm-hmm. but um, it's, it's just so such a big thing that we hit home on all the time is our prevention aspect. So if we're going to start there with the prevention, um, when should parents begin brushing their kids' teeth? Well, I can, I can, I have a, um, a nine-month-old, <laughs> um, and actually, you know, I started brushing her teeth right when they started coming in. So she has four teeth now, and they are very sharp, um, and she does not like me brush. But as, as, and a lot of parents, I think, just get overwhelmed. I, I'm a first-time parent, even though I'm a dentist. I was like, oh my gosh, I don't know what I'm doing, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, we actually brush my daughter's teeth on her changing table, and and using the age-appropriate toothbrush in the American Academy of Pediatric Dentistry, you know, and you can ask, a, a parent can ask their pediatrician or their pediatric dentist as far as like, well, what toothbrush should I use? What toothpaste should I use? You know, when you go to Target, Target has like a 40-year-long dental aisle, and you're like, oh my gosh, I didn't even know they made this much dental stuff. And so like, you get overwhelmed by all these products, mm-hmm. uh, especially us as first-time parents, you just don't know what you're doing. And, and I think we could be great resources. I, I started brushing my daughter's teeth as soon as I saw those first two little things come through and and over time she still doesn't like it but she's getting used to it and I, I know Dr. Julia has some older kids so she can probably comment too yeah um my three-year-old we've been brushing his teeth same since I first saw that gleaming one break through the gum um and he actually does not even put up a fight anymore he loves it he um, lets us brush two times a day. He definitely still fights us sometimes if he's not in the mood. But um, one very common thing we hear from parents is their children, they're worried they're hurting their children when they brush their teeth because mm-hmm. they are crying, they're carrying on. That is very, very common. And we always do our best to reassure parents that 
even though it might seem like a struggle and it might seem like it's a difficult duty to accomplish um, every day, ideally twice a day, um, it is um, definitely worth it in the long run mm -hmm. uh, to keep at it. And, um, you know, it's just one of those things where it's human nature. You don't want someone else in your mouth. You don't want them doing that stuff. And when they're that little, they're going to fight you. But um, that's very normal and very typical, not a bad thing. Um, and we also... Um, Patrick mentioned the uh, American Academy of Pediatric Dentistry. Our guidelines and the American Academy of Pediatrics is also in line with us, obviously, as far as this is concerned. But the first actual visit to the dentist mm -hmm. should be um, by age one or the eruption of the first tooth. Um, I know, like, my kids both had their first teeth before one. It's totally okay if your child does not have teeth until after one. Um, but um, that is the first time they should see a dentist. Um, believe it or not, is that early. Um, and usually that will be a pediatric dentist. Many general or family dentists might have an office policy where they don't see children until three or until four. I mean, that's their prerogative. That doesn't mean anything about their practice. It just means they're not going to see the little babies. Um, so we definitely encourage kids, um, if you, you know just Google American Academy of Pediatric Dentistry, you could search for a, de a pediatric dentist near you and I guarantee you they will always accept new babies. Um, they, that's one of our answers, bread and butter. And we love getting families in that early to provide them guidance mm -hmm. um, and um, instruction. And that's really what those first couple of visits are for, obviously, when they only have a couple teeth is providing that information. I'm so glad you went there because I know I've heard so many people who, um, who the, their family pediatric practice says three. Mm -hmm. And then they look at me with three heads when I say, well, I think think it's actually by a year is what pediatric yeah. dentists recommend. And so I think there's definitely some confusion there, mm -hmm. um, which is one of the reasons I'm so glad we're having this conversation because I, um, my kids, we did start going early and I loved those first ones because it feels like it's that acclimation too, for the kids to be able to see that this is not a scary place. This is just something we do every six months. Exactly. And I know a lot of parents, you know, I, as providers, us giving the value of a visit, like, oh, we're just going to be there for 10 minutes, and, and why do I have to do this? It's kind of like when you take your kid to the pediatrician for those first few months, and it's just a well check. You know, our big thing, again, is education and prevention, but when we see those little ones, we really spend more of the time talking to the parents and asking them about habits and, and, and how we're brushing at home and what we're eating. You know, I, I think most of the visit is just information gathering, and just like you said, you're kind of establishing a home base. You know, you have a dental home, which is a big aspect the American Academy of Pediatric Dentistry hits on, is having this place that you can take your child before anything happens or problems versus, you know, if something hurts or there's a dental emergency. And, and you have that home base for education. And slowly, you know, we kind of get to know your child, too. And so it becomes less of a foreign environment and more of something that they not enjoy. I, I was not very good at the dentist as a child. I never enjoyed going. <laughs> to the, but, um, you know, they feel more at home at, at the dentist. And, um, and, and it's interesting just the life relationships you make with the patients. Even here at the hospital, we've, you know, you get to see a lot of the same families again, and that's special. As we're talking about what families can be doing early on, is flossing something that should be introduced pretty early for kids too? Or what's kind of that general recommendation on when to introduce that? Flossing, I, I like to hit on that once the teeth touch. Because believe it or not, 
we will have little kids. And what I mean by little, when all the front four teeth and then they're really crowded. Mm-hmm. You know, a, a typical little kiddo that has all their teeth, we like to see a little bit of spacing. But as soon as those teeth touch or even a little crowded, plaque and bacteria can get trapped in there. And, and so we do instruct to floss. And I usually, you know, you kind of are flossing on a moving target. That's when it's nice to go to your dentist and say, hey, can you show me how to do this? Like, this is crazy. I can barely brush. And, and I think it's nice to have those, like, we're here for instruction. And every parent's different. I, I like to use the little flossers, and I actually will have a kid lay down and floss. But those little, those little um, floss picks, I think they're hard to use for me personally, where my wife loves those. So I, I, I think, to answer your question, that flossing just wants the teeth touch. Um, or any crowded tooth, because you could have a kid that has quite severe dental crowding, and and their age might be a little different from child to child. Yeah, and just kind of to add on that, we have kids who are four or five, and they have all their teeth. None of them are touching. They just happen to be one of those kiddos where they just have lots of space between their teeth. And, you know, we'll still obviously, when especially when they're here for their checkups, we'll go through and we'll floss for them. And we'll always instruct parents to, you know, to floss, but to say, you know, you're one of the lucky ones where your kid has teeth, you have lots of spacing in there. Um, so flossing at this specific point in time might not be as important. But as Dr. Ruck said, once you get those teeth that are touching, um, uh, flossing should you know, begin to be introduced, even if it's just in a couple of little areas. And that's what I like to do with families when maybe it's just a couple of the front teeth touch, but the back teeth don't. So I'll say, you know, here, here, and I'll show the, I'll have the parents step up to the chair while the child's laying back and I'm doing the exam. And I'll say, you know, if you see here, look, these two teeth are touching. This is a really important area you want to try flossing. And that's kind of nice as it's not super overwhelming for the parent when you're just giving them specific little jobs and also for the child. And you can kind of mm-hmm. wean them into flossing, if you can say. That way you're not trying to, you know, floss every area of the mouth. Um, like it was in my three-year-old, his only teeth that touch right now are his middle top two front teeth. Mm-hmm. So a couple times a week, I take a, fl- a f- actually like a, f- a flosser on the little handle. That's mm-hmm. already you know, one of those. And I just say, okay, we're going to floss tonight. And I just kind of go up and down. And he actually is at the point now where he asks for it after me and he'll kind of play and obviously I supervise him while he's doing this is usually mm-hmm. in the bathtub mm-hmm. um, and he'll you know just kind of play with that little flosser and eventually hand it back and but now it's just something else that we do and and to Julia's comment it's it's a pretty tough motor skill to develop for kids it's very so, rushing it itself yeah. is so introducing it earlier even yeah. though you know you might have some spacing that you're developing those tactile motor skills that like you know it's pretty hard to floss. You don't really think about the complex of like wrapping this around your finger, pulling it taut, getting it in between a space. So it's kind of like tying your shoes or learning how to write. You know, you start off and it might not look great and getting it done, but yeah, it's a complex tactile motor skill to develop for sure. And I think the introduction of those little flosser picks, if you're comfortable using them, definitely brings some of that sophistication required down so that it is more doable for kids themselves. Um, I have a three-year-old at home as well, and we have um, overcome the stay out of my mouth by he takes a turn first, yeah. his turn yep. first, yeah. uh-huh. mm-hmm. and um, we've noticed that his turn is getting shorter and shorter. Now it's just kind of, I'm just going to put it in my mouth and then hand it to you and you can do it. Yeah. Do the, it power, well, the power struggle. <laughs> it, it really is, right? Oh my gosh, every single day. Um but he's he's definitely gotten better, and him having that little bit of control over it himself. Um, to your point, he's not ready to do the brushing himself. But, oh, yeah. But we'll we'll get there. Yeah. Um, and it's the familiarity. I, yeah. I think you just brought up a wonderful point too, 
And I can't tell you, and I know Julia can comment this, when you have a two-year-old, and we always ask the parents, are you know, how many times a day do you brush? Are you brushing? And oh, no, he brushes his own teeth. And, and, and just the, that important thing that you said is that you go in after him. One, you want to develop the motor skill. But two, as the parent, you want to make sure you're going in, too. I mean, even some, and then the teenagers, they just forget, you know, <laughs> and they're just big on them. I, I, I know, I always like to mess with teenagers because they're like, oh my gosh, they're, they're so emotional and they have all their wonderful feelings. But like, we just have to like be on them sometimes. Um, but I think parents supervised brushing is so important, um, but you also want to let them develop the skills as well. So I'm going to expand on that. The, the teenagers with their emotions and their braces. Yeah. And this is happening in my house right now too. My oldest has braces and is an incredibly responsible rusher, but sometimes it's just really hard to get in there and get those well. And I think that my husband has scared her because he's like, I didn't brush well enough when I had braces and I have stains on my teeth forever because of it. Like I, I keep saying, let me just, let me just help a little bit. And she's like, mom, <laughs> um, I mean, any, any thoughts on what strategies to help these, these teenagers who are struggling like that, that it's truly hard. Those it's things are, yeah, that's a lot in there. Yeah. I know like even as dentists and I know our hygienists, when a kid comes in in full orthodontics, you know, we always know it's going to be a long a sit visit. Down. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> We're lucky in that I found, like back when I was in private practice, um, a lot of orthodontists themselves have really stepped up and are helping the kiddos Mm -hmm. um, as far as giving them instruction. And I know um, there's actually one here in town that has like like a prize system where like they come in for their adjustment. If they're clean, they, you know, you know, they get this, that, and the other. And if they have get so many points of having clean teeth, they get like, well, this is yeah, would... a little bit. They get an iPod. I don't even wear iPods anymore. I don't know. <laughs> but like something like that. But yeah. as far as like home care and stuff like that, they do make toothbrushes for braces um, where they look just like a regular toothbrush, but they're kind of more like if you look at the bristles from like the side, they're kind of like C-shaped okay. to kind of get above and below those brackets um, a little bit better. Really, I would say the biggest thing is the amount of just time spent each session brushing. I would add, you know, the, the adage is kind of two minutes brushing, singing, what is it, singing, is it ABCs or happy birthday? I don't even know what we're telling you. I, 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 I sing it fast. Yeah. <laughs> so it depends. Um, but I would add, you know, I would add at least another minute um, to brushing with the braces on. Um, if you do have the, uh, you know, ability to get something like a, like a battery powered toothbrush or something like that, where you can, you know, kind of hold it above the brace, brackets, mm-hmm. below the brackets. Um, I mean, I had braces for five years and, you know, I remember, you know, I still remember, that was a long time ago, um, what it was like flossing between the braces. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just very time consuming. Um, adding something like a mouth rinse with fluoride in it while you're in braces and really kind of vigorously swishing with that after you brush um, can be very helpful. And I think the, the stains that your um, husband was referring to is a lot of times we get kiddos that... Um, even keep their teeth decently clean with braces, but they'll actually get like white spots on their teeth, like around the brackets. My husband has them still from mm-hmm. when he had braces. And, um, and they just, they're just like little halos. They follow where the brackets were. And those are, that's weakened enamel from plaque and debris sitting on those teeth above and below the brackets. And that those may not ever go away. 
And that's what we really um, emphasize to our kiddos who come see us at our embraces. But I, for me, I would say the number one thing to help with the, with the prevention is um, asking your dentist or your orthodontist for suggestions for the right tools. Mm-hmm. So meaning like the right kind of flossers, the right kind of toothbrushes, um, any additional products such as like a mouth rinse or even like a prescription toothpaste that has extra fluoride in it. Okay. That, that stuff like that exists. It's called Prevident is the brand name of it. But mm-hmm. um, asking for stuff like that and then just spending more time. Setting that expectation right. that you're going to have Correct. to spend more than the typical it's just two hard. minutes. Oh, yeah. it, it is. Yep. And, yep. and I agree with Julia. We, we gave out movie tickets. So oh, yeah. Uh, we, we do the same. We had increased frequency of recalls, and we would grade the kids yeah. on their brushing. But she brought up a, an, an, a great point, and in, in the theme is you get so many extra tools in your toolbox. We had these things called uh, interproximal brushes, which look like little Christmas tree brushes, and you go in between your brackets. And then, and using, they even make special flossers. I, I think one brand's called Plackers, and another one's called Platypus where they're actually the flossers that for kids with braces. Because I remember you have like the thread and you're trying to thread through your braces and blah, 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 and you're trying to do all that. I don't even tell kids, brush your, I mean, brush your teeth at school. And if kids make fun of you, just be like, well, I don't want a nasty mouth. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I don't know. Well, as far as I, I, I tell kids, bring a toothbrush to school if they'll let you, especially when you're in ortho. You know, and, and I think for an office, like having pictures, kids, a lot of kids are so visual having pictures of what, this is what your, we used to show kids, hey, here's what your teeth can look like when you get your braces off. And now when they see that, they're like, oh, I don't want that to be me. And, and having that conversation with them, but you have it, you almost feel like they're a parent because you're just doing it every time they come in. And then all I know a lot of orthodontic offices, they have people that clean their teeth while they get their wires changed. So not only are they getting, it's like a service that's part of the orthodontic care. So it, um, they get cleaned at their general dentist and then they're going to the orthodontist and they get another cleaning. So increased frequency, increased time, increased supplies. Yeah. It, it is very hard. And, and I know it can be hard as a parent because you feel like you're just, it's the story that never ends. <laughs> yeah. It's true, but it's worth it. And oh, yeah. it, it's always a finite amount of time, which yeah. I think is what I keep leaning back to yeah. with her is just, we just have to get through it. Just put in the time. It's going to be extra, but it'll be worth it in the end. Um, so talking about decay and, you know, those things that we don't want sitting on kids' teeth, um, where does decay start? And like, what can parents do? Because I, I think that, I mean, beverages that kids are drinking, I, I believe I've heard is one place that is really important in addition to the brushing. Um, what else should parents be thinking about kind of at the different stages of childhood for their kids to prevent decay? I think, you know, just moving through life when they're in infancy, and we were just, I was talking about this yesterday with someone, and going when you're at the grocery store and you're looking at that apple juice, let's say you're, you're done breastfeeding or you're done bottle feeding and you're moving to a cup. You're like, well, what do I put in that cup? And the American Academy of Pediatrics and APD support like four ounces, which is a Dixie cup worth. And when you look at the back of that bottle, you know, a bottle of a, like, 100% juicy juice has almost the same amount of sugar as a can of Coca-Cola. And, and I think just being a smart consumer at that stage, staying away from fruit snacks that are really sticky and acidic and high, and even, you know, things you don't even think about, gummy vitamins. If you look at the back of gummy vitamins, you know, that has citric acid, sugar. You know, they, the, it, there's so many hidden things in those products and foods. And 
and and I another thing I hit on not to to keep going on teens but my athletes you know we had a big sports population where I used to practice and Gatorade and the kids who just sip a Gatorade and go out on the field and sip a Gatorade their teeth almost their, their teeth almost look like like etched like yeah. glass etched because the acid from the Gatorade is just starting to wear through that mineralized enamel and so I would always kind of it was like no one was like none of y'all LeBron James you know I just water is good enough you know like <laughs> and, and 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 just kind of coming to their level about trying to you know just drink water you know like you're fine. So. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, I always, um, I feel like the, the times I talk about this the most, I feel like lately are like after I see a child in the operating room and I'm talking to the parents afterwards and, um, you know, it, you know, I have my usual talk that I give and then, you know, you always have the parents who are, you know, like, what can we do in the future? Or like, I have a, I have a one-year-old at home, like, how can I prevent this with them? And, and I always kind of go back to the basics of obviously, um, oral hygiene at every age. So the brushing, the flossing, seeing a dentist every six months for checkups, the fluoride treatments that we do every six months. That's like a big tenant. Um, and the other one, kind of as we have been discussing, is diet. And like, uh, as Patrick said, it, that kind of evolves as the child gets older. You know, the, the, the issues and the directions that you would give if you were talking to someone who had a year and a half, a one and a half year old is very different than someone who you're talking to and you're talking about their eight year old. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, the big thing that I always like to tell parents is, you know, our mind automatically goes to, you know, juice, candy, pop. Gatorade, which is very, like, that's definitely the, the main culprits we feel like a lot of times. But for me, like, I always tell parents, you know, they're they're always like, okay, we're not going to do any more candy, no more juice in it. I'm like, you, like, your child does not never have to have candy and cannot does not never have to have juice. But we always say for in-between meals, water. If they want to have their four ounces of juice or a glass of milk with a meal, great. Um, but it's really, it's more the frequency of these cavity causing things than the quantity. So this sounds ridiculous, but a child sitting and eating a bag of candy in one sitting is not doing any more damage than the child who has one piece of candy every 30 minutes all day. Because what's happening is when you're, when you're snacking, when you're munching, when you're grazing, when you have a sippy cup or an open cup for an older child um, full of juice or milk, and they're constantly bathing their teeth in that sugar, acid, things like that, their saliva never has a chance to um, go back to its normal state where it's not causing damage to the teeth. Because you're constantly... And that's something we learn in like one of like the sciencey parts of dental schools. We we have these graphs of like the pH of saliva and after you eat and things like that. And we translate that to parents as um, you know try to keep those exposures to like one time, okay, a couple times a day, meal time. Mm-hmm. And I say you know like with, with Halloween coming up, I don't know when this will air, but <laughs> this yes. is right before Halloween. We'll um, get it in there. Yes, um, <laughs> you know your kid can have their Halloween candy, but maybe let them pick you know, two to three little pieces after dinner. Mm-hmm. And then, because ideally, they're going to be brushing and flossing before right they away. go to bed. Yep. And and then, and it's bedtime. Now, you know, if you pack some in their lunch and they have some when they get home from school, then they have some after dinner. And that's, 
you know, technically that might cause more damage. So I always tell the parents at home, um, at home, it's, it's frequency mm-hmm. over quantity. And I, and I, I feel like I sometimes I see a light bulb go off in their head. Yeah. Like, oh, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. So that's what my personal, that's what mm-hmm. I always kind of try to hit home when I'm talking about preventing cavities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's interesting because I, my three-year-old, if we allow him to have like a I don't know, a juice pouch or something like that. And the thing is gone in 15 seconds. I mean, he just downs that. Um, I'm going to have to like rethink and be like, okay, great. Now he's had his little, he's had his juice treat, Mm -hmm. but it was super quick and now it's done and he's not sipping on it and we'll go back to water. Um, so if we circle back to, you guys had mentioned baby teeth and cavities and baby teeth. And, um, I'd love to go back to that for just a couple of minutes. Help us understand, because I think there is, there there is kind of that, okay, well, this tooth is going to fall out, so why do we need to have a cavity fill? Because filling a cavity can be traumatic. So mm-hmm. talk us through that a little bit. What's the, um, what's the advice there, and how do, we, how do we help families navigate that? Yeah, so I, I feel like if you have um, you know, a concern about your child's tooth or if you think they have a cavity or, or if a, you, know, um, you did happen to see a dentist or your pediatrician or something identified, a tooth that you know has a cavity in it, and the parent might be like, "Well, like you just said, why do I need to get this fixed?" Da, 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 da. So, um, what a lot of times, what we don't really think about is they're baby teeth, but they're actually in the mouth for a long time, and they are serving several very important purposes. Um, the obvious, um, you know, eating, speaking, you know, forming, you know, the muscles of your face, your facial structure, things like that. Um, but they're also doing the very important job of setting up your mouth for where your permanent teeth come in, coming in in the right spot at the right time, things like that. Um, so when you have, let's say, a four-year-old or a five-year-old, and there is, you know, a dark spot on, you see a dark spot on one of their back teeth, one of their little molars, so they're one of their last two teeth mm-hmm. um, in each corner of the mouth. They're five. Let's say it's a five-year-old boy. Um, the average age that uh, boys lose their molars is 10 to, I've seen 14-year-olds with baby molars. That's possibly almost a decade that these teeth are going to be in there. That cavity is not going to be a little brown spot for five years, six years. It's not going to be a little brown spot for one or two years. Um, so the importance of fixing the cavities sooner rather than later um, prevents, A, it makes fixing the tooth much easier. It is much easier doing a small white filling than doing a crown or, um, you know, if we want to get to like something like a baby root canal or, heaven forbid, removing mm-hmm. a tooth that becomes infected or something like that. Um and then, uh, you know, so as pediatric dentists, uh, you know, the trust is in us that we're not going to fix a tooth if it's going to be falling out in a year. So let's say that kid is nine and they have a cavity on a tooth that we know, looking at the x-ray, is going to come out. We would prevent, present different options for that. But in that just typical young kid mm-hmm. who has cavities, you know, really think about how long that tooth is actually going to be in the mouth and needs to be functional. And I think Julia brought up a great point, too, about fixing it while it's small. Because it's easier on everyone. It's easier for the parent. It's easier for the child. And and we do get families and kiddos where their first ever dental experience ever is getting a tooth out. And and that sets up this precedent that, oh, and they're in pain. So I'm in pain. I have to go see this person. And I have to go do this. So you already associate so, so many negative feelings 
with the dentist. And my wife's an adult dentist, and you, you hear about these adults. So I'm, you know, I always when I'm on an airplane, it's like, what do you do? I'm a dentist. I hate the dentist. I was like, that's a weird. Like you don't go. I hate the mailman, or I hate, you know, it's and and, and, and and if you when you talk to a person, a lot of their experiences happened when they're a child, mm-hmm. and and it's setting up that positive experience where even if a kid has multiple cavities, if they're small, while our interventions are a lot less invasive than if it's a big cavity or if it's abscessed or if it has a a large, it's painful, you know, and and every time when you come to the dentist and it's painful, that's setting, you're almost training your brain that it's a negative environment. Um, And sometimes, sadly, a lot, we see a lot of kids where that's their first visit and then you associate that with something negative and not something positive like health and smile and and things that we like about our teeth you know i've versus things that we don't like and and it's really just almost on a psychological level like creating that experience so i I think it's so important and i think we as pediatric dentists one of our main jobs is educating the importance of that treatment um, especially when it's small and very manageable So speaking of things that can hurt, I want to talk for a few minutes about dental injuries. Um, I've navigated a couple of these with my own kids, um, and I'm not even positive where to start on this. Like, maybe it's just kind of trauma in general, dental trauma, and what, you know, are there kind of like the different levels of it? Like, what is kind of a, we can handle this at home, what needs some action, what needs some intervention? Mm -hmm. Um, what types of injuries, that type of thing. Um, that's not a very clear question. I'm so sorry. Oh, no, it's perfect. It's a big subject. Yeah. So. In, in pediatric dentistry, we have a word called anticipatory guidance, and it's age-appropriate guidance for the age of the child. And my, like, we were, we were doing tub time last night with my daughter, and I saw her pulling herself up, and I was like, oh, my gosh. So I, I think it starts as, you know, once those teeth start coming in, and you can associate that with, you know, once they're old enough to start pulling themselves up, you know, where are we doing that? Are we doing it on the bathtub where we can fall and hurt? Once we start walking around with that walker, are we doing it on the carpet or a hard floor? Um, and, and when we think about when can a dental injury happen, really as soon as that kiddo's moving, um, once they can stand, they're just old enough to be dangerous once they're crawling or moving. And, and at that age, well, when do you need to see your dentist? Um, another wonderful thing about children's is that we do have dentists who take call for the emergency room. Um, and we always have dentists on call. So we get a lot of calls from, from concerned parents. You know, oh, my little kiddo just fell in, in their teeth. And I think the biggest thing you can do is just when you call the dentist describing the injury, you know, is it something that's a little small tear? Maybe we fell and, and we have a little cut on our lips. I think anything that involves the tooth where you feel like it's been displaced or pushed out of the way or, or changed in any way, shape, or form to where it was previously. I think you should call your dentist and say, hey, you know, here's what happened. Is this something I need to see you for? Um, and sometimes after we've talked to us and we've just seen it so much, we, we have a good experience, we'll say no or, well, yeah, let's see you tomorrow. Why don't you come in tomorrow? You know, and, and, and we'll get kids, and this is more during the summer, like bicycle accidents or where they – break an adult tooth or completely knock out an adult tooth you know those are the things that need urgent emergent care um, where you would come into your dentist and we would do some type of of nerve treatment or reimplant your tooth and and just to try to maintain it inside of its mouth but as far as like little little kids you know a lot of the injuries that we see in the emergency room it's kids who have fallen or had some type of trauma where we either 
you know, taking that tooth out because it's, it's, it's been pretty damaged or it's something that we can save. It's really depending on, on how it goes. But I think when in doubt, always reach out to your dentist. Yeah. And there are definitely like levels yeah. of dental injuries. Um, and it's one of those things that like the broad question at the beginning, it is a very incredibly broad topic where, um, I mean, there's an entire society of dentists that are that make guidelines for how to treat traumatized teeth and it is all based on baby tooth versus adult tooth was the tooth displaced was it chipped how big is that chip is the nerve involved how big was it how large was it was it displaced one millimeter two millimeters was it pushed up is it pushed out is it pushed back i mean there and i mean at this point in our careers we've probably seen pretty Most much sense, everything yeah. um and no matter what I see, you know, we, you know, we follow our guidelines, our own personal experience on treating the teeth, but we still always tell parents, um, you know, we can tell you what may be happening as far as the healing process and what to expect in the future, but every tooth is different. I've seen kids that have had little teeny fractures on their permanent front teeth, and two years later, enough damage was done at that um, trauma that the child or they were not a child anymore probably a teenager at this point needed a root canal because of nervous damage but yet I've seen kids with huge fractures never need any kind of follow-up treatment other than having the tooth built back up so um, we really try to give that guidance to the parents no matter what the injury is um, and yeah and we see all different that's another thing with having a dental home mm-hmm. is you will always have that person to call when something does come up and like I said, no matter how big or how small, call because most of us as parents know that when you have that child and all of a sudden you go into the room or they fall and they look up at you and they've got they have blood on their mouth. Mm-hmm. Where is that coming from? Did they cut their lip? Did they cut their gum? Is their tooth knocked out? And mm-hmm. having done that myself, you know, the first thing I run over and I lift up that lip yep. and I look at those teeth. And it's usually, in my case, luckily it has not been the teeth. It's been the the lip or the inside of the lip or something like that. Um, but even then, sometimes it warrants a visit to the dentist. You just want their teeth checked out, um, things like that. Um, even minor injuries, um, you know, eventually could have bigger consequences. And just having that baseline visit with the dentist is always good. And then there are other times, like Dr. Ruck was saying, with our experience, we might be able to say, you know what, this is something that you know, you're going to come in and see us next month for the checkup. We'll check it then. The advent of cell phones, like smartphones, has been huge. Oh, yeah. Sending us pictures, oh, yeah. you know, to help save office visits. And, you know, you know, maybe mm-hmm. you, you know, a family getting charged for a limited exam, the dentist having to go in on the weekends if they're out of town. It's just like multitude of things. Um, and I know that is a tool that our residents who do see children in the OR, um, or sorry, the emergency room, um, they'll get texts from doctors in the emergency rooms who are triaging or assessing the patient, mm-hmm. and they're trying to decide whether or not a dentist needs to be called in. So that's what's kind of all going on behind the scenes here at Children's is we are all working together mm-hmm. to figure out the best you know, kind of treatment. But dental injuries, that's a huge part of pediatric dentistry. It's a huge part of our training um, is how to deal with, with these things. And even as an attending, we take call, we get calls from yeah. community doctors. Mm-hmm. We get calls from Liberty. Um, and, and it could be anything. I've had calls from private practitioners too, because as faculty, we kind of take community calls as well from yeah. other practitioners through Priority Link. 
and, and just fielding those questions. And I think another thing Julia brought up that's awesome is, is having the dental home because they might see us for the trauma, but that has to be followed up because I can't, and, and like she said, you'll see this tiny chip or you'll see this, this tooth that you didn't think was a big deal. Even years later, it'll get infected or start bothering the child. And, and when, when I would see adults and you'd have an adult with a, with a dead tooth, oh, I was in a car accident like five years ago. So it, sometimes it's just a matter of time and having that continuous follow-up and someone mm-hmm. to see versus an urgent emergent visit, that's so important um, because again, treatment can be rendered and you can save that tooth. A lot of the times, if you have the appropriate, uh, you know, if you can see it at the appropriate time. We've had, um, so our family had an experience, and you both mentioned, like, injuries and dealing with trauma being so much a part of your your training and your experience. Um, And we've had some fantastic interactions with our, our dental home for our kids who've had traumas. And there was one, we called them, you know, at... I mean, I think the office was closing at 5.30 and we called at 5.25 and had just gotten a call from daycare. And it's like... That's horrible to get we, that call. We just got a call from daycare. There is a tooth that is displaced. I haven't seen it yet. We don't know what we're dealing with. We're on our way there now. Oh Can gosh. we bring him in? And they were like, yes, absolutely. We'll hang out. You get here, you know, be safe, but get here when you can. Um, and I think that there's definitely... Like, you can feel that in that they recognize that this is this is scary. Yeah. Teeth injuries, for some reason, are just harder sometimes than other injuries. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the, we've just felt very supported by, by those people who... But we had that relationship, right? Yeah. Like, they know us. They, mm-hmm. they know him. They know his teeth. And um, so that's been super helpful. That same kiddo, that happened when he was, like, three... Um, I promise you that I need him to wear a mouth guard (laughs) all the time. Like the number of teeth, it's just like tiny little chips. And I'm like, how did you do this again? Um, But like with chip teeth, does a baby tooth or an adult tooth kind of make any difference on what a parent should do next? Um, I would say yes and no. So obviously a permanent tooth is a, a little bit more concerning just because it's a permanent tooth but with baby teeth there are many times we see fractures or small chips in baby teeth and not no treatment is needed as long as that nerve is not exposed the tooth is not very sharp and going to be causing like trauma to like the tongue or the lip or something like that many times we will leave the tooth especially if they're very young and and you know fixing it isn't really an option or even when as they get older if they're only going to have the tooth for another year or two putting them through fixing, you know, a smaller, medium-sized chip, often we're able to talk the parents, you know, we'll smooth things to make things like maybe look a little better, mm-hmm. things like that, but um, we'll need to monitor it, obviously, for mm-hmm. future, you know, nerve, possible damage to the nerve, things like that, um, but if the tooth was not displaced and it was just a simple fracture, um, many times, like, we, we don't need to do anything. Now, a permanent tooth, um, kind of the same thing applies. We always look for ner- if the nerve was exposed, things like that. But obviously, you're dealing with a permanent tooth, usually a child um, who, uh, or possibly teenager, where like aesthetics are a concern, things like that. That's when we almost, you know, we'll always, you know, um, fix the tooth as soon as possible. But um, a lot of times, if it was a bigger chip, we'll do like a temporary fix and wait for, make sure that tooth is okay, then go back and do um, that 
uh, final kind of bonding that we call it to make the tooth whole again. But we kind of treat them both the same, but obviously there's a little more just mental anxiety when it is a permanent tooth, let's say, just because it's a permanent tooth. For sure, they're gonna have it forever. Yeah. Well, this has been such a wonderful conversation. I think that we have been talking far longer than we <laughs> expected that we would. Um, is there anything final, any final you know, words or advice or anything that we haven't covered that you'd like to make sure we get in here? The biggest thing we can hit home as pediatric dentists is, is making sure your child has a dental home and someone you guys could see for an emergency, for prevention, that will know you, that will grow with you. I think that's the biggest piece of advice I could give a family. Yeah, I agree. That's what I was, very similar to what I was going to say. Fantastic. Well, you guys are both wonderful. Thank you for your time. Thank you for this great discussion. And we will see you next time on the Cincinnati Children's Young and Healthy Podcast. Have a great day. This episode was recorded on October 27th, 2021. The content of the Young and Healthy Podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. Our theme music was created by Stephen Grieco. Thanks, Stephen. This episode was produced by the brilliant Symphony Pitts. Thanks, Symphony. Follow Cincinnati Children's on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter.